Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again, as Daryl Cooper, creator of the Martyr Made Podcast, joins us for a wide-ranging conversation, including trolling in the early days of the internet. Living in a time where it's become obvious that we need to make some serious changes or we are in big trouble as we wait for the aliens to show up to unite us all. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle figure of the gods, Daniele Bolelli as we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast, begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 114 of the Drunken Dows Podcast. This week, it's interview time again, and a pretty long, interesting interview. But before we get to that, here's Daniele Bonelli. Hello, hello, hello. Let's say a quick thank you to our sweet sponsors. We have Datsusara with the awesomest... Is there even a word, awesomest? I believe it is a word. If it's not, it, may not it should be. a legal be. word. If it should be. Most awesomest? Yeah, with the greatest hemp gear on the planet. That's true. Um, summer, it's travel time, so you need bags. You can't do any better than the Datsusara backpacks, travel bags, the whole deal. Did some make Check their way to out. Colorado recently? Oh, most definitely. I went on a brief Colorado trip, and Datsusara, of course, we are geared up. Like, every single bag is Datsusara stuff, so much love for Datsusara. You guys must look like a climbing team or something. Nah, I Why think especially with, climbing team over there? Especially with savannas in their tank top with crazy muscles. But it's like, it's more like an assassination thing. There's like <laughs> some strange... Uh, Making the locals nervous. Yeah, it looks... Uh, it's not ski season. What the hell are these people doing here? Yeah, that's murder central. And your Colorado, uh, how'd you like it? I like it a lot. I like it a lot. I find the people um, are pretty groovy there. I am seriously tempted. The thought of moving to the, not Denver, the city, but, you know, the mountains around it yeah. is definitely in the back of my mind. And the people we hung out with were awesome. And it was good old Philip Miller and Julie Miller. They are, they are great. Um, I don't know, man. I really had a good time. I liked it a lot. So, Excellent. and yes, that Susara was on with us. Uh, among the things, of course, thank you to Onnit for sponsoring the show as well. Speaking of Onnit, one thing that came to mind both through Philip Miller as well as our former guest, I think we had him on twice, Mark Chang. Onnit has this one thing called the um, Massage and Mobility Kit. And basically what it is, is they have uh, multiple items in the same thing. Let me take a look here. What do we got? We have a foam roller. And uh, yeah, there are several pieces, but basically the, the key ones, the ones that I've used are the foam roller. And then you got this uh, kind of smaller golf side, maybe not golf, like tennis ball size balls, really hard. And what you do with the foam roller and with these smaller balls is like you use 
spots that are sore, you use it to kind of, you lay on it, you put your body weight and you sort of rub up a lot of the like muscle tension. I've done it recently with uh, a recurring backache and it was very helpful. It was definitely, when you're doing it, sometimes you feel like torture because you're kind of going deeper exactly where it's sort of like getting in that sense a deep tissue massage, that type of feeling, but, but it helps. So they have in addition to, you know, I figure rather than just telling you on it, there's a lot of stuff, check it out. I'll mention a few different things each time today. I want to mention the awesome massage and mobility kit which i think is what i'm gonna be getting next excellent and of course short design with the greatest t-shirts on the planet having said that um oh quick shout out to also to the sweet folks at alpha dynamics i think i don't even remember if last time their website was up yet or not it's gonna be ready any moment exactly it's up now uh, they put together these kits of medicinal mushrooms that are pretty awesome in terms of, they are essentially tonic herbs, right? That's kind of what's used in a lot of Chinese medicine. Increase energy, um, you know, lots of uh, mind slash body benefits. You read up on them, check them out, see if it's something that you guys dig or not. I personally dig it. Uh, the website is alphadynamicshealth.com. I'll put it in the episode notes. Uh, would be sweet if you want to check it out let me know what you what you think of it that would be great having said that let's jump into an interview with mr daryl cooper from martyr made podcast uh that's a long one so let's jump in it Mr. Daryl Cooper, here we are. What's up, man? <laughs> it's great having you here. Um, yeah. I look forward to this chat. I think every single chat we've ever had, there was always that moment there about five minutes into it where I'm like, why are the mics not rolling? This would be perfect. We have already lost like about 27 different epic podcasts that were in spoken word, but Probably never so, yeah. captured by a microphone. So let's fix it today. All right. Um, for those of you guys who haven't done so already, um, plan on dedicating 30 hours of your life to, can you please say the name of your podcast? Martyr Made. Thank you. <laughs> I absolutely cannot pronounce it. Not that I can pronounce everything else much better, but still. The, um, this is a podcast that if you haven't checked out, absolutely epic, you know, really, really amazing quality. Um, so far, it has been all about the genesis of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Kind of like the time frame is what, 1900 to 1948? Roughly, roughly, yeah. I guess it starts in 1881, but really gets underway around 1897. And then it takes it up to the 1948 establishment of the state of Israel. Right. Um, for a moment there, I even like, I think not just me, a few people were thinking that that was the podcast. That's all you were ever going to do. That was the one. Because you are going to such depth in it that what is like, he's going to go like this for 12 years talking about this subject. Cause... Yeah, when I started it, I thought it was going to be one episode just to kind of roll through a summary <laughs> of the story and kind of let people in on it. And as I, it, this is a bad habit I've got, even just when we're having our conversations, like, 
I'll end up running on for a long time because you say one thing and then you realize that that doesn't make any sense unless you add this other thing in. And then you have to also know these other things. <laughs> and pretty soon, like, you know, you start out trying to explain how the state of Israel came about and you're reading books about the birth of civilization and <laughs> what uh, social, what the nature of social identity is and how all these things work. And I mean, by far, as like a, as evidenced in my current statement, I, my biggest difficulty is figuring out like when to cut myself off. Of course. You, know, you just have to learn to do that, and I'm not very good at it. So, Well, I think you have good company because the thing that I'm noticing both in talking to him personally and also <laughs> on the podcast with Dan Carlin, for example, is exactly that. That the more success he has had, <clears throat> so the more he can afford to not crank out an episode every three minutes, the more what you are talking about that need to cut yourself off is disappearing because he feels that he feels increased pressure to do, you know, how can I possibly tackle this subject unless I've read every single line that anybody has ever written on this topic. Yeah, and it's especially important when you, as, a, as, a, as an amateur podcaster, decide on probably the most politically explosive topic imaginable for yeah. your very first series because you're very aware of the fact that... Uh, this is a very emotionally charged subject, and uh, if you're wrong about anything, there are going to be people out there yeah. on both sides who let you know about it. <laughs> very quickly, in yeah. not particularly polite terms, right. probably. So you get obsessive. You're like, you know, I've got to be sure about yep. this. And, you know, maybe something is my interpretation, and I can own that of on, on a given spot, but I better be ready to stand and defend it. Yep. Because there are people out there who study this stuff very carefully of and have a a supreme emotional attachment to a certain interpretation and you got to be ready to you know ready to meet those people on their own grounds so. totally i mean if you're doing a series on uh, the mystery of the collapse of the bronze age right. nobody has an emotional attachment <laughs> to right, it you right. know it can be somebody's a little more well-read than others but nobody gets the right people that. who are obsessed with that we stick them in universities and kind of keep yeah, them away yeah. from other people exactly <laughs> you know nobody's gonna freak about that if you're talking about the israeli-palestinian conflict people freak before you even begin because there's yeah. immediately there's where you stand are you one of my friends or are you one of my enemies Absolutely. that yeah. kind of thing and that's so how you can tell that this is still it's a living political topic right? oh yeah and you know there it's very interesting because you said something about like the bronze age you could uh the, the series that we're working on together right now about the spanish conquest mm -hmm. of mexico if you were just talking about the collapse of uh, like you can talk about the collapse of the Maya, sure, no problem. Yep, and you can speculate about that all you want. Mm -hmm. But the Aztecs, uh, there's still a thread oh, yeah. of political connection, you know, taking that up to the present era, and so it's a very sensitive topic. You got to be careful about how yep. you say certain things. In so. fact, I'm actually because right now, as we're recording, I'm only one episode in into History on Fire in the four-part series on the. Um, Spaniards versus Aztecs clash and you are about to be one episode in because mm -hmm. I think in a couple of days from now which will be about a month in the past for you guys you'll have a companion well it's not really I mean you're doing what we're doing essentially is I'm doing this four-part series for <laughs> History on Fire about the clash between Spaniards and Aztecs and that whole history and I'm just kind of doing the more straight-up narrative uh, why don't you tell people what you are doing associated with that? Yeah, so I've been fascinated with the Aztecs and the conquest stories, but really of the Mesoamericans themselves for a long time. And, uh, you know, the Mesoamericans and the Inca uh, are, are two peoples in a, in a pretty unique historical situation because neither of them were really impacted upon 
by other civilizations Mm -hmm. as they were developing, at least as far as we can tell, right? So, you know, there's, I mean, even today, there's no road that goes uh, from, like, where you would be in Mexico City down into Peru. There's jungle mountains. I mean, it's not happening. And the Aztecs and the... Uh, and the Inca weren't interacting with each other all the time and stuff Stop like that. that. So there, you have a culture that is developing up into a high society mm-hmm. uh, without all these sort of, you know, interactions and the yep. syncretism that comes from that and the opposition, you know, and, and the sense of oppositional identity that comes with that. And so you get to see uh, a civilization form in a completely unique way. Yep. Right. And uh, so if we were, um, yeah, if we were talking about something like, uh, them in a vacuum or somebody that there wasn't that direct line to, it would be a lot different. But, you know, I don't know if you've, you've probably at least run into people who are um, emotionally invested in you getting the story right. Totally. Well, I mean, even this one, which I didn't think it would be, there are. I've already got an email of people who are either clearly on a very pro-Spanish side, they have kind of this Spanish nationalism thing of like, oh, come on, we are good guys, versus the hardcore Mexica... (laughs) Um, that kind sure, of identity yeah, with sure. that sense of the damn Spanish invaders. And, and so you're like, okay, I'm getting the air trade. It's not dangerous ground like Israeli-Palestinian, but it's dangerous ground. There's enough emotional attachment that it's alive. Yeah, I yeah. figure something from 500 years ago wouldn't be, it is. Exactly, right. Um, and especially something that is, it, it's very alien to yeah. even, let's say, the mestizo population mm-hmm. in Mexico today. Of course. It's not like, um, you know, that they have like a, like a deep cultural tie to yep. what the Aztecs were doing. That's not exactly no. what it is. It's and more things, symbolic. These things get invested yep. with energy. I realize I didn't even answer your question. So That's okay. I was going to yeah, bring you back sorry. there. So, but. <laughs> uh, but So what I'm doing, uh, Daniele is going to be telling the story. Um, I think that he's a little better at telling uh, stories like that because I tend to get, just like I just did, I get drawn <laughs> off in these eddies and I don't even know what I'm talking about eventually. So um, the things that fascinated me about it were uh, the human sacrifice, mm-hmm. the ritual cannibalism, the uh, the sense of social identity and, and and political legitimacy is a huge thing. It was very fascinating to me. You, you know, when they would inaugurate a new Aztec king, the prayers that they would intone and all the hymns that they would sing and stuff are things that are they're so foreign and so alien to our conception of what government is. And uh, you know, they're 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 chanting about how uh, the new king he's uh, has come into power and already he's our killer already he is our executioner already he is our torturer and it's and yet they're elevating him and celebrating yeah, yeah. Him like a great king. thing yeah. right those are compliments exactly yeah. and so it's like you know for our entire conception of like what a king is is the father of the people who provides yeah. protection at least that's the ideal right sure. and so even bad kings pretended yeah. to do those things and so you think well and for us, if you just took us in a vacuum, we'd probably say that, well, yeah, that's the entire basis of social legitimacy, or, uh, of governing legitimacy, of right? Course. That you provide and all these things. Well, no, there are other ways to do things. There are other ways to do everything. Yeah. And, they, and they're, they're completely other. I mean, mm-hmm. you can do things in radically different ways, you know? And that aspect of it to me is, is, that's what fascinated me about the Aztecs so much, you know? Because, you know, you've got, however mankind was born, uh, you know, maybe out of Africa theory, maybe that stands up. That's totally fine. So you got one group that comes up and kind of goes north and west into yep. Europe and up that way and stuff and starts doing their thing. One group starts to go out east and they drop some people off in India. They drop some people off in China. They start making their way across some islands and going north. Eventually they make it over into, you know, into uh, the Americas. And then eventually those ones that went north and west came across that ocean and... You know, you've got one of the most 
profound and dramatic confrontations in yep. human history. I mean, this is like Jesus standing before Pilate type thing, where it's just it's a confrontation of two different types of human being. You know? And pretty much, I mean, you can never say never again because who knows what the future holds. But in from where it stands right now, it looks like never again. You're going to have a separation that lasts yeah, 10 yeah. or 20,000 years or maybe even longer. And then suddenly this yeah. called the descendants of the people who may have said hello to one another 30,000 years ago running to each other yep. again. Yep. It's, yeah, unless you explore deep space, that's just not happening here. It's yep. uh so yeah, that's a, and so you're exploring the more cultural side of it all in these episodes, right? Yeah, I want to talk about, you know, I was actually thinking to myself, because uh, when, when we first started talking about it, I mentioned that I was going to do an, a series on the Spanish and the Aztecs, mm-hmm. and you said, oh, I'm going to do something, I was planning on doing something yeah. about that as well, and immediately I was like, oh, that's perfect, let's do this, because I don't really want to tell the story, <laughs> like, telling the story is my excuse right. to, to get sort into of the other speculate yeah, about of human course. sacrifice and everything, so this is perfect, and so... I don't know if uh, at first it was going to be that I'd have a companion episode um, for each of yours and yeah. they'd kind of be released in unison. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to release the first one here in unison with yours. But I think this might end up being not – it might end up being a lot more than four episodes. Sure. I might end up uh, you know, having something that really is only 20 minutes and um, – you know, I just have to share it with everybody, yeah. but it doesn't fit into one of my other episodes, and maybe I'll put that out. And so, why not? As like you know, for the for the four months or so that you're working on this, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing for a while and reading about all the things related to the you know the stuff I find interesting about it, and just throwing it out there for people. So. Right. That sounds fun. That yeah. sounds awesome. Uh, what about? I guess back to the stuff you have done so far, so the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That was what six episodes? I forgot. It was six episodes total. Yeah, um, or, yeah, six of them, and it ended up being five sort of uh, episodes that were pushing the narrative forward, and right. then one shop talk episode. I called yeah. it that kind of, you know, it, 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 right at a critical point when uh, the Zionists first started really coming in after the First World War. I kind of took a break and had an episode that was. Kind of about what we were talking about earlier, you know, getting into um, the nature of uh, mm-hmm. political relationships yep. and when people move from a tribal orientation to a state yeah, orientation yeah, and how these one. things change. And so that's the stuff I really love. But you kind of got to put that in the context yeah. of the narrative, you know, to kind of keep people uh, able to relate to it. So And you weren't in full epic fashion because, yeah, some of those episodes are five, six hours long. Yeah. So it's... Uh... I think my last two were... Like 11 and a half hours combined. Wow. So. Yeah, that's uh, Dan Carlin style. That's hardcore. And that, by the way, was something that was interesting to me because um, I've had uh, a bunch of people through the years who will tell me, hey, I have this podcast. You want to check it out? And, you know, most of the time, quality tends to be good. You know, most people do a good job. But, of course, good is a relative concept. You know, some people do a good job. And I'm like, oh, I kind of like it. This is good. Da, da, da. And then I remember when uh, you sent me the link and I was like, oh, I'll check it out. And there was something about the way you handle it, the way you tell the story. But really, to me, it's more than there's something about you, they, how you carry yourself, your presence, which obviously through podcasting is funny because all you hear is somebody's voice behind the microphone. You don't even see their face. You have right. no idea about anything, sure, right? Yeah. But even voice gives you a vibe of who somebody <clears throat> is, the tone, the inflection, the everything else. And, and about five minutes in, I was like, holy shit, this is a different kind of good. This is on a whole other level of the game. And I started listening, and the more I listened, the more I was thinking, 
this is just straight up Dan Carlin kind of game, you know, both the degree of nuance, your ability to look at things from one side and then the other, your ability to, I found it. And you know what? The funny thing about it is that there were things about it that I think, oh man, I would do this differently or I kind of disagree with going in this direction. Not conceptually, but like structurally. Like for example, I tend to get, I need to keep things more compact um, I tend to get lost in when the narrative gets too complicated and yours got very complicated because there's too many characters, mm-hmm. there's too much stuff that happens and so on. So sometimes I'm like, man, I wish it was pack it simpler, make it more of a straight line or uh, let's go more. But despite all that, despite the fact that I got lost about 25,000 times in the course of the 30 hours, I remember thinking that even when I was lost, I was like, I don't care. This is still amazing. (laughs) This is just, I can be as lost as I want. And this is still absolutely amazing. So it's awesome that now I'm really (laughs) curious to hear you venture out in a different direction because I've heard you pick this topic in and out so well. And by the way, seriously, if you haven't checked it out, listen to the whole thing. And I tell you, by the time you reach the last episode, man, that one packs such an emotional punch. It's like there's, I probably listened to it, the ending in particular. I listened to the last part like three times or something. Mm -hmm. And every time you can tell, but get teary-eyed. And not even teary-eyed because of one person or another or one character in a story or another. They're just some raw emotional... I don't even know how to put it into words. It's something about what it means to be human, what it means tragedy. to be a... De- it's about tragedy. It's about how the world can be an amazing place, how we fuck it up, and it sometimes is not, and how the potential is still there. What can be done in the light of so much darkness to make yeah. it good? Yeah. And what is to rediscover some humanity? Yeah, mm-hmm. and the tragic aspect of that story is what really. And when I say tragedy, yeah. you know, I don't mean like that something terrible happens sure. or that you know. I Even mean, though something yeah, terrible I, does happen, I mean yeah. it in a real kind of classical yeah. sense of tragedy, right? Where um, a tragedy uh, is a situation, you know, whether you're talking classical or Shakespearean, mm-hmm. where the people are not necessarily. Um, like it, it's very possible for people on both sides to uh, be acting in in what they think is you know the correct manner. They really do, of course. And yet the outcomes you know to, are, are bad. And so you know all tragedy, or at least tragedy where there's you know two human parties like that, uh, they, they they can only be ended when both sides sacrifice something. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's yep. the whole. I mean, that's the whole thing about you know a tragedy, a tragic situation like that. There was a, uh, I might have mentioned this in the, in one of the episodes, but there was a longtime mayor of Jerusalem, Teddy Kolick, who, uh, he was asked by a reporter. He was always good for a quote, and he he was asked by a reporter one time, you know, what should be done about the uh, the Palestinian problem or the Arab problem in East Jerusalem. And he looked at the reporter and he said, after all this time, you're still going to ask me that question. He said, we don't have a problem. Uh, we don't have an Arab problem. We have a condition. And a problem is something you try to solve. And a condition is something you learn to live with. And, you know, boy, that's a really tragic way of looking at the world, right? Yep. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very tough to overcome once you've kind of made it to that point where this is something that doesn't have a solution that we can live with. Yeah. And um, part of the reason I think that that's probably 
that people think of it that way. Uh, when I get into conversations with people all the time, this is where it ends up going, is they would say that it's a solution is politically impracticable, impractical, uh, not because they, they, they bring up the specific negotiating points, right, of the peace accords and things, yeah. where they say there's just no way to arrange a two-state solution, say, in such a manner that either side is going to be able to accept it, right? Yep. You've got... Too many, uh, you know, too many Jews who live in Israel now. They need a certain amount of land to make it a viable state. Uh, but the Palestinians, uh, after all this time, like they, they're not, they're just their leaders themselves are not in a position politically where they can accept anything that just looks like they're taking some rump state that is probably going to be dependent on foreign aid all the time because yeah. it doesn't have the resources and land it needs to support itself. They can't accept that either. But I don't think that that's the focus. You know, that that's as long as those things are where people are, are negotiating. There's, I mean, you have to negotiate those things, but that's where the focus is. Yeah, you're right. This is an insoluble problem. Um, the only time it changes is when you get to a point where people are completely willing to take on the other side's perspective, mm -hmm. right? Um, Which is not an easy thing to do when not, you've had so much blood being shed and, and on both still sides. Being shed, and exactly. Still being shed, you know? Exactly. And uh, I, you know, I'm not. In Israeli, I'm not Jewish, and so I tend not to have solution conversations with people who are because I'm not going to tell somebody whose second cousin, uh, who was nine years old, happened to be on a school bus that a suicide bomber stepped onto, sure. um, that they just need to sort of like forgive the other side. Like yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't probably have the strength to do that. Um, I'm not going to tell a Palestinian, uh, you know, who's whatever mother-in-law was hit by an Israeli drone. Um, I'm not going to tell that person that, you know, they need Just to get stop, over it. Get you over the to, hatred. Yeah, of course. And so I, I kind of structured the podcast in a way where I could, I did the best I could to just present, you know, every, every story, right. Um, the cool, one of the cool things about narrative is that there's it, it, every story contains the other side of the story within it. Right. Sure. So, If you say, I uh, went down the street and this guy was honking his horn and screaming at me, okay, well, there's a story. Well, clearly there's another half to that. And once you have both of those halves, well, now you kind of have some idea of yeah. what's going on. And you get to something that's politically charged, like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and that's exactly what never happens, almost. And I know? think that's what was supremely well done about your series, is that you're not refraining from taking a position, but it's a position that's constantly changing. Like one second, there are episodes where you're like, man, I totally get the Jewish side of the equation. It makes perfect sense. Poor guys. And the next second, you start changing. This. Not if the story doesn't change, but you show the other side of the story and suddenly you see it completely the opposite way, where you are 100% sympathetic to Palestinians. And then you go back. It's not trying to... <laughs> What I find incredibly refreshing about the whole thing is that you're not trying to sell people on an ideological position. You are keeping it complex. You are refusing to oversimplify while at the same time calling the horror horror. You know, when you see some of the things that both sides do to one another, there's no argument that some actions on both sides are straight up evil, yeah. where it's just there's no way to justify that. That's just plain evil. And you don't pull punches about that, but at the same time... I guess my question on that is a twofold one. I guess, A, what made you choose this topic? Such a highly tense one right away. And also, how were you 
because this is really about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I've never seen a position that doesn't end up supporting one side or the other that keeps it nuanced. How are you able to do that? And why? Because again, the people who may be able to do that don't want to get into it, A, because they may not be interested, or B, because they don't want to deal with the headache of having people on both sides hating your guts. Yeah. Um, so the question of why I... Well, there's, so there's one reason that I started studying that mm-hmm. topic, and then there's a reason that I made a podcast out of it. So the reason I started studying it is because several years ago, um, I was talking to this really attractive female, and I was arguing it's with It's the her. beginning of every single yeah, good decision I, uh, ever made by was, humankind. <laughs> and I was arguing with her about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which I had read a little bit about, but I had read... I mean, I had the, t- I had the basic... Um, American pop culture mm-hmm. understanding of it, right? And, you know, somebody who had some idea of Middle East history, so maybe a little bit above that, yeah. but as far as the real deep details, I was kind of arguing with somebody that I was in over my head with, sure. <laughs> right? And so she kind of beats me over the head a little bit because she's pulling these things, and she was full on on the Palestinian side, mm-hmm. so she, I'm not saying she she was not, you know, even minded yeah. about it, but uh, she had more information than I did, though, sure. and so she's throwing things out there uh, at me about the early history and about what the Zionists did and stuff, stuff that I had never heard. And I'm like, that can't be true. Like I would have heard that. Of course. For sure. I would have known about this. There's no way. And so I go and I find a book and I read it and I'm completely blown away. And so I have that natural swinging thing where I'm like, Oh my gosh, like everything that I've read about this in the past has been completely bullshit. And now like, now I see how things really are. But then I kept reading. I'm like, okay, no, that's not exactly true either. <laughs> it's and, more complicated than that. Yeah. And so I'm reading. And um, yeah, so that's how I started studying it. And then I was complaining to my friend after I think, um, you know, the third or fourth episode or something of uh, Dan Carlin's World War One series that his, uh, his podcast takes so long between episodes. And, you know, I was complaining because I had just listened to it the day that he released it. And now I've yeah, got to wait another four or five or six cars. months. And so my friend, you know, one of my friends said, why don't you just make one? Make one about the Palestinian conflict yeah. you're always talking about now. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, why, why not? not? I'll split the difference out there. It'll give me something to do. And if I do a halfway decent job, then people yeah. will have something to break up the Dan of Carlin, course. you know, schedule. And, uh, yeah, and so that's that's how I started doing that. Um, was there a third part of that question? Um, I guess how do you... Uh, did you related how do you manage to keep this balance a and b how much of a backlash was there because clearly this is something that when you don't take a position that's either all white (laughs) or all black you inevitably piss off people who are all white or all black which is most anybody who's interested in the israeli-palestinian conflict um i mean the first part is uh that i it was something that i was very conscious consciously Mm -hmm. aware of right because i'm as as anybody who uh, followed my now defunct Twitter account uh, uh, knows, like I'm a, totally a person to just treat political dialogue as if it's banter, right? So, right. you know, if you are um, sports fans and you talk about like some quarterback or whatever, right? I mean, you talk like that guy is a piece of shit. He's yeah, a yeah, pussy. Of course, of he's course. like just all of these. Like you yeah. talk about him like he's your worst enemy, and it's totally. sort of that banter type thing. Well, uh, and and I'm and I totally do that. Yeah. I do it with politics. You know, yeah. somebody's on the other side of a political debate. That person's an idiot, and right. just all those type of things. Like it's just you know whatever you want to say, locker room type talk. And so I'm as uh, even when I'm completely aware of the fact that when I'm doing that. 
it's bad for dialogue and sure. it's like and it's probably bad for you know my own my own image now that yeah. I guess I have one and uh and that type of stuff I still it's just a compulsive type thing and I'm completely vulnerable to like I everybody. totally want to explore that later so okay, we'll go yeah, we into that about, I'm sure yeah. we talk about that and so I carried that I carried that at least moderate level mm-hmm. of self-awareness into creating the podcast and I just decided I'm absolutely going to do my best because I don't really think that way. It's like yeah. a lot of stuff, right? I mean, it's like in my heart of hearts, like I really, I don't, I don't think that uh, there's probably a story out there. The Spanish Aztecs. Sure. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, there are certain situations where people are just evil or whatever. But like, if you're talking about a, a, an issue that has not been settled on and mm-hmm. resolved, right? If people are still arguing about this forever, then there's definitely two sides to the story yeah. because people over time tend to become sensitive to the fact that they are probably the bad guy in a situation and they don't, people don't want to be that. They don't want to think of themselves that way. And so over decades, if one, one side is clearly wrong, just in every way, they, I think they eventually, generally speaking, will get worn down mm-hmm. and kind of have to make some sort of moral compromise there. And this is something that has absolutely not happened with this yeah. at all. And, um, and so I went into it thinking like, you know, okay, I'm going to, I'm really going to take this extremely seriously. And I'm going to take the things that both sides say extremely seriously. You know, I'm going to assume that, that they mean what they say and that they meant what they said back then. I'm going to take them seriously and on their own terms and then, you know, try to take both of those sides and put it together into a story. And, and that is what ends up happening is what you said is you listen for a minute and you're like, oh, you know, the... Um, you know the poor Jews in Ukraine. Sure. Like, how could they? And then you say, well, of course. How how dare the Arabs like tell them that you know you can't move down? Of course, here. things are so bad. But then you get down there and you're like, oh, but the poor Arabs. Yeah, of course. And how could the Jews do this? <laughs> exactly. And then it's like, well, wait, no, no, Arabs. That's not what you're <laughs> supposed to do. Don't do that. Until you get to the end of it, and it's just this cycle of escalating yeah, violence that, that turns into a complete nightmare. And, and to me, like, and, and you probably could tell that, like, the arc. Each episode had its kind of theme and arc, but then the overall arc was basically one of how um, a movement, an ideology that started off so idealistically, you know, it it started off as something that uh, started with stars in its eyes. I mean, it was really about like a people who wanted to reclaim themselves as, as a nation and just all of these lofty like ideals and stuff that by the end of it, after it's run into the realities of the world and what that means... To actually, you know, this is the thing about history. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's great that you want to build the United States of America. Sure. That's wonderful. Um, you've got a constitution that's like an achievement in human history. You've got all of these things that we've done that are, you know, in a grand historical sense are, are going to be remembered a thousand sure. years from now. But to make that happen, <laughs> right. it was a complete nightmare of for course. a huge number of people. And... Uh, you know that's the that's the the veil of tears that we've got to negotiate. You of know? course, um, in our individual lives too. Yep. You know, in our individual lives, like I think most people like uh, see themselves as trying to do their best sure. and generally as helpful to others and all those kind of things. And then you run into the fact that that person today is annoying you. It's a small scale version of it, but then like, you know, how are those ideals going to hold up? And we've got to ask ourselves that question as individuals and as societies every day. And now, in that sense, people are constantly pushing each other buttons, making it worse, because it's kind of like, you know, to me, in some way, the Israeli-Palestinian situation is like the ultimate failure in human intelligence, is the 
how because when you boil down to it arabs clearly had some legitimate claims jewish people had clearly some legitimate claims and it gets it's like okay this does not have to be a kill each other kind of situation how can we find out a solution that works for the greatest number of people and we don't and yeah. the exact opposite happens and exactly what you're saying is that then one thing leads to another making it a lot harder to find that initial compromise yeah. and the further down the road you go the more compromise like good luck you know that yeah. i remember seeing like these uh, i was living in long beach and there was this landlady who was really really racist right she didn't think she was racist but everything that came out of her mouth was sure. like really yeah, sure. and she was really not a big fan of black people and then, and she would come out with all these super racist things. She only had one black tenant, sweet old lady who eventually later on died. Her family came to clean out the apartment and <laughs> her son promptly then went into the communal laundry room, stole the dryer, stole the laundry and ran off. And so the next day I ran into the landlady and said, see what I told you about black people? You see what sure. I mean? And I'm like, these people reinforce each other view. Because that yeah. guy, I'm sure he saw, fuck the, all these racists around right, me. Right, yeah. I'm just going to take what I can from them and sure. forget it. And then his behavior in turn reinforced this latest racism is going to be even more racist to other people. Who are gonna, and it becomes this vicious cycle where you just don't get out. Yeah, that actually, um, that was, and I know we're going to go down a different direction, but real quick, like, you know, that's one of the things that fascinates me the most about, um, it actually informs my politics a lot. Um in, in, a, in a way that is a little bit different than what you're saying, which is um, the idea of uh, social identity mm-hmm. and shared social identity, right? That when you have an empire, right? yep. you've got the Russian empire and you've got Tatars and you've got Jews and you've got Russians and Germans and Poles and whatever, but it's a Russian empire mm-hmm. and they're ruling over all those people and they can yep. kind of stay in their little places and do whatever, but you, it's a tribute empire in a way territorial but still uh when you're dealing with a self-governing democracy or or republic like we have um you know there's a reason that uh democracy in the modern sense republicanism in the modern sense came about uh in the age of nationalism Mm -hmm. right once people started to feel like a sense of brotherhood with one another well now you can actually have conversations and govern yourselves because it's not going to be about what this one subgroup can get out of the whole, right? Which then immediately has a cascading effect where everybody else says, well, which subgroups am I a part of? I better act as a team as well. Otherwise, I'm going to get swamped. And then you start balkanizing. And uh, um, I mean, that's so what you're saying about that type of thing reinforcing, like once you get into that point where groups start sniping at each other, I mean, I mean, this is why I deleted my Twitter account because, you know, one of the, one of the, problems with Twitter or I mean it's not a problem it's sure. just how it works um, and this I mean I guess this is a, a, a sort of a small-scale version of how it works in life as yeah. well is eventually you start to attract a group of people around you sure. and it's not just your followers it's the people who follow your followers. it's just a yeah. constellation of other human beings that are playing off of everything that you're saying and doing and eventually that starts to become uh, your tribe a little bit and they yep. start, you start to notice that you're, you know, I, I just got to a point where I realized that like, I'd have fun finding like, uh, you know, some, some left wing person. Cause I'm pretty right wing on a lot of questions. I'm left wing on a lot too. Everybody says that though. So, um, like I'd find somebody who seemed like they were completely 
on the same level with me as far as like they were here to find somebody like me yeah, yeah, to course. just shoot insults yeah, yeah. back and forth right. with and all this kind of stuff. And you get in that mode and then you kind of step back when somebody says something to you like, is this what you really think? Or yeah. what about this? And how could you say that? And you start to realize that I'm not helping this situation. No, of course. Like I complain about this, this, that the fact that, you know, whether it's through identity politics or everything else that's going on, that people are starting to withdraw from one another and that we're having all this social disunion because of what, you know, these other people, according to me, are pushing. And I yeah. do believe that's the case to a degree. But then I have to look at it and say, well, I'm not helping the situation. I'm making the situation worse. Sure. And that's, you know, I, like I think a lot of people out there who are around my age, I'm 35, um, have a sort of a similar um, experience with this where like my, the days where I learned how to use the internet, like mm -hmm. really kind of learn the culture and sure. develop my own online habits and stuff was like late nineties, early two thousands uh, message board culture. And specifically it was like MMA message boards. Like I was on sure dog right. and the OG and stuff like in the old school days. Right. If anybody listens, there's probably people <laughs> who were on with me back then, right. <laughs> you know, in, in some of those who, who know who I am. So, um, it was so nasty. Of I mean, course. it was just like it was if if you took like a marine platoon and put it in a in a in a high school locker room and then just gave them all steroids and amphetamines. Right. That's what the culture was yeah. like. I mean, there was nothing that was off. It's like it was like 4chan today. Like that was the internet right. back then. And then and so we all kind of learned that like you can just launch nuclear missiles about anything. It doesn't yeah. matter what it is. Like you can be a Nazi today, you could be a communist tomorrow if it right. suits your troll or whatever. And then the internet goes completely mainstream. Everybody gets a phone in their pocket, and uh, you know you've got seven-year-olds like reading of Twitter course, that you're on course. and stuff, and like you've got you know somebody's grandmother and a millennial generation now yeah. that is a very different culture than my generation in a lot of ways. You know, more sensitive to certain things, and and who were never around back sure. when the internet was like that. So. Yeah. The mainstream society moves onto the internet and they find us degenerates on there just acting like insane people. And I think our society has kind of not gotten, we haven't processed that yet. No. You know, people move onto the internet and they're like, oh my God, everybody's a hidden racist Nazi sure. and there's this. And it's, it's like, well, no, it's always been like that. None of those people really, right. you know what I mean? But the problem does become, it's like, well, no, some people do take it seriously. Oh yeah, of course. And, well, because that's the problem. Who is that? <laughs> It's hard to separate. It is. Because some people yeah. are not trolling. Some people are exactly yeah. what somebody else would be the parody of that. No, they are that thing. Right. So on that topic of communication, both online and otherwise, uh, let's talk about trolling. Let's play. My favorite topic. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so do explain, because there are lots of poor souls out there who are scratching their heads going what the hell just happened i started listening to this guy he's like the most sophisticated nuanced thinker on the planet he's so brilliant he's so smart and then i just checked out his facebook and twitter what just happened there um because your online persona didn't exactly match your yeah. podcasting persona sure. so do tell, I guess. <laughs> Let's just get the ball sure, rolling so, there. This is going to be more than a one. Well, there's two sides to it, I would say, or at least two aspects, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, the first one is I was the kid in high school who mooned the teacher, right? I, that's what I, I was a class clown. I like to get a rise out of people, like that type of stuff. 
Um, the other part of it is coming up on the internet in a culture where it was just trying to be as shocking as possible. Even if you're making a point that uh-huh. you do agree with. Right. You know, because that's what a good troll does. A good troll doesn't come into some place and say, I don't know, just say some, just try to make some argument that they don't believe in or anything like that. That's, that's no fun. That's just silly. And then you realize somebody's doing that and you're like, oh, get out of here. That's yeah. not fun. Like a real artist, and I do consider myself <laughs> an artist when it comes to trolling, is you have to make a point that you can defend uh, with passion, that you, sure. do, that you do agree with, but you have to put it in a way that is so abrasive or make the make the make the case um, for for a reason, you know, that uh, is not necessarily the one that led you to believe it in the first place. You know, do it in a way that's how you get a rise out of people, right? And everybody who's been on the internet for a long time knows that. Uh, but the other, you know, the other side of it is that it, it, it does go to that tribalism that you're talking about a little bit, and it's the reason that I've really cut myself off of social media and kind mm-hmm. of I think you know, and to a large degree, like I'll probably just. Eventually, I'll get back on Twitter and I'll use it for the podcast and stuff. But what you start to realize is that, um, you know, it's not as if, like, let's say uh, you have a bunch of uh, people with a certain ideology following you. And so, you know, you start, like, when they say that that starts to rub off on you, it's not so much, like, they're right. It does do that. It's Mm -hmm. not so much that, like, you start to think like them. Mm -hmm. It's not really what it is. Because if somebody asks you a question... And you'll give an answer, and it's like about how you really feel about some topic, and you'll find that you're still kind of on the track that you were on before, and you're moving along. But what it does is it affects your behavior, and it affects your, um, you know, online in this case, like your persona there, right? Because you play roles online, mm-hmm. you do that all the time. Like you know, like there's a lot of people who have Facebook groups, sure, and in each Facebook group they have like a certain character and, and they're all related and they're all tied back and not everybody does this yeah. but a lot of people do trolls do for sure um and you start to realize that uh or what it, what it ends up doing is it starts to define uh your online in-group mm-hmm. and that's when you start to get into real trouble if you start to let that happen i think where um you don't have to like necessarily agree with everything that some people are saying but if, uh, as you know, the weather is moving across the ocean of Twitter or something like that, you find yourself siding with certain people just kind of naturally in arguments because maybe for a completely different reason you agree with something in this in this particular debate that you identify the other, mm-hmm. you know, the people who are on the other side of something that these these lines start to break down and you have to start to look around and be like, you know, are these is this really like the direction that I'm trying to go? Even though I don't, it's not affecting my inner world, my inner life. uh, You can't, you know, at a certain point that becomes an excuse, you know, because you have to look at it and say, uh, you know, you you don't go into uh, the bathroom with the lights off and write little messages to yourself and flush them down the toilet. You could, if you just want to go express yourself, you could do that. Um, When you're communicating with other people, you're doing that to affect their, perspective to mm-hmm. change their mind to make them feel something and you have to take responsibility for that eventually and uh you know yeah for me i just like i had enough people that i respect finally be like dude you just <laughs> like it's a different it's a completely different world now and you just can't do right. that anymore like you could totally like like i had message boards um 
I, I can't remember one. Some there was like a, a bunch of us got banned from the Sure Dog Forum mm-hmm. all at once. Like, it actually, you know what? That's actually an interesting like little microcosm of what's happened to the whole internet, right? So we had we we controlled the off-topic forum in SureDog way back. I mean, right. I'm talking like 1999, 2000, you know, in there. And uh, this is a mixed martial arts forum, and it was really the biggest one mm-hmm. of that and a few others. But um, And we were in there, and uh, it was the Wild West. I mean, you would, if you were to take the stuff that we would say and the things we would do in there and, and show, all of us would be fired today. It doesn't matter that it was 18 years ago. It was just a complete nightmare because... Yeah. It was a one-upsmanship that right. took place, right? But then mixed martial arts started to get a little bit bigger, and it started to get a wider audience, and people were actually going to the SureDog Forum because that was the main website for mixed martial sure. arts at the time, one of them anyway, and they would go in there. And so finally the owners of the website were like, yeah, you guys can't be doing this anymore. Yeah. Like, we have hundreds of thousands of people come to our website, so here are the rules. And, of course, we were outraged. I was like 20, so you know, I'm, we're all, we're not conforming to those rules and blah, blah, blah. And so we all got banned. Right. And we went over to some other website. I think it was like a bodybuilding website. We kind of colonized their forum. And I played, I was a 100% like, like legitimately like literal fascist in there. And so like, I I would even, I would go like, you know, I was like 20 years old. And so like, I would go look up, I didn't know anything about fascism, like as far as the doctrine went. So I would go look it up. And sort of learn so some of play it the so character I could play better. the character, yeah. right? And it was so much fun. And everybody there, I mean, these most of the people there had come over with me from before. They knew who I was and like, you know, and, they, and everybody else eventually yeah. knew. But they still went along with mm-hmm. it. And there were a bunch of people like that. And so uh, that's the kind of thing that like, you, you know, it's, it's not just you and your friends anymore. Right. You know, this, something, this is something that's been... I mean, you have to look at it and say that Twitter played a huge part in the election last year. Sure. In the, in the election of the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Like, no doubt that Twitter played a large role in that. And when you start to think about things like that, you, you know, and you look and you say, well, I've got a few thousand followers now, which doesn't sound like a lot. But, you know, some of those followers have a quarter million followers, right. you know. Of course. And it's like, you got to... You just you you know it's a it's a different world where you have to take more responsibility for the things that you put out there now, and it took me a very long time to to get to that point you know so because I guess that's my thing with trolling that I don't understand is because um, I guess you know when you're speaking about it you're obviously getting like you can see it in your eyes you're like you're having fun it's I'm like, so excited it's like yeah yeah. Like the thing that I don't get, I guess, because I don't get the high of it, that I don't get the fun part of yeah. it. I would only see the damage part of it. So that makes the high even more mysterious. Because I guess my, where I'm coming from, the way I see it is the na- one of the number, well, by definition, there is no one of the number ones. There is one number one. But one of the big problems that we deal with as human beings is bad communication, is the fact that both because we have poor vocabulary sometimes we use the same words to mean different things and so we got into this gigantic fight over really just a poor shared vocabulary in other cases because people have uh, whether they say they are or not everybody has some degree of sensitivity where if you press a certain buttons they start seeing red and they charge <clears throat> whether you know there are about ten thousand different reasons why human communication is a minefield and it's very yeah. easy that unless you play it very delicately it's very easy to fuck things up 
Yeah. Faxing, by faxing up, I mean exactly what you were saying earlier about what's the purpose of it all. Ultimately, you want to create something better. You want to make sure that life is good. You want to make sure that either you learn something from the other person or they pick up something from you. But basically, you have a better way of living available to human beings. You have a greater degree of happiness. You have that kind of shit, right? Yeah. The stuff that we all want. The problem is it's like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's like in order to bring it to the table and have a productive discussion, there are about... 99,000 words that any one of them will trigger the other person yeah, to go like, yeah. fuck you, I'm bringing out my AK sure. and mowing you down. Right. So there's a very <clears throat> narrow path to navigate it that could lead to a good result. And so, and I feel that what Trolley does is instead, you know, you're in this China shop where everything is so fucking delicate that one little wrong move can, and you just jump in and go, yay! Right. And you throw stuff yeah. around. And I, I think... Yeah, I think what I was just saying, I think the thing is, is that like troll culture, and there's definitely a yeah. troll culture on the internet, uh, it was developed when the internet was not a China shop. Right. You know what I mean? And that's kind of the difficult part of it. It's like there is an aspect to it that is like you have this culture that kind of developed very early on. I mean, this is how the internet was back when sure. it was just bulletin boards way yeah. back in the day. Uh and then all of a sudden people start moving in and they're like, hey, you can't say that. You can't talk like that. And the reaction from that troll culture that existed for a long time before anybody else came along is like, hey, you're not telling us what to do sure, here. Sure, this sure. is our place. And they punch back even of harder course. and it becomes that thing, right? And then other people now move into the into the internet and they sort of, depending on their temperament or whatever it is, uh, you know, they kind of get moved into one side or the other. The people telling others, you know, you can't say that. The people saying, oh, you don't, you think I can't say that? Watch right. this. But there are two types of trolls, too. And I think um, one is qualitatively better than the other, both uh, for the effect it has on the individual mm -hmm. and for the effect it puts out in the world. But I think that the gap is closing for the reasons you're talking about, which is you have one that, like, you go on to somebody's Twitter feed and, they say something nasty to you or something. And it's not clever. It's just nasty. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you go look at their feed and it's just nothing but bile oh, spewing yeah. anybody that they don't like for whatever reason. And then there's uh, a troll that is sort of goes out like I would, you know, but like I would do is you're seeking, really seeking other trolls. That's yeah. what you're looking for. And when you're not doing something specifically... Uh, to a, another troll, it's basically like throwing a fishing line out there. Yeah. You're throwing it out there because you're looking for another person like you Will buy to come in here play. and just start right. bantering with each but other. But what's the fun? Like, what is the why? fun? In which way the troll war is fun? I to mean, me, honestly, it's it's the exact same type of fun as um, dudes like rolling up a towel and snapping each other's ass in the locker room <laughs> and talking about all sorts of... Right. Th yeah. To me, that is like completely... The fun in it, gotcha. and I have no defense for that. Like I'm, not, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I have no right. way to defend myself. The fact that I find that fun, um, but you know, the problem is, and this is something you, know, I just had to get to eventually, is mm -hmm. realizing that, like that, the idea of like you know, you can't tell us what to say here, and blah blah blah. This is our spot, and that that fight is over. The, every seven year old has got a phone in their pocket now, sure. and they're going to have them now for the rest of our lives. And uh, it's a different world that we've got to take more responsibility for. It just is. And, you know, and again, like the, um, you know, the thing, like, like there, if there are people out there who have like, you know, seen me really turn it up to 11 on Twitter and stuff, they're going to say, well, you know, this is, you know, you're, you're not just joking when you do this. Mm -hmm. And totally, totally, you're not just joking. Like I said, it's 
you know, the, the troll, like, you know, who's right. really like working on his craft, um, you know, you're saying things that, you know, you're, you're, you're representing a position that you would agree with. It's just, it's the way that it's put out there and the character that you play and stuff that whatever. Yeah, because a position you would agree with is such a vague concept because I can agree, you know, I can find uh, 10% of truth in pretty much anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can take like the most batshit crazy position in the world and I'm sure I can find 5 to 10% that I agree sure. with. And in some cases, maybe it's more. In some cases, maybe it's 50%. In yeah. some cases, it's... So, but you know how much you actually agree compared to what you turn it into is something yeah. that's well. And there, well, there's, see, here's the thing too, and this is the other yeah. reason that I just backed away yeah. because I realized that I've got too many uh, built-in habits mm-hmm. just from over the years that if I expose myself to it, that I'll get sucked back in yeah. because there's an because there's another side to it, which is normally like you think of the trolls as the people who are, um, you know attacking and doing mm-hmm. these kind of things but there's another you in order to play that game you got to have the other the other player and that's the sort of concern troll right so let's say like uh you're debating about healthcare plan sure and you're going to have the person that comes in this is the other side of mm-hmm. it that comes and says oh well if you oppose this i guess you just want my grandmother to die sure so that's the other side of troll right that you need those people yeah. because then the answer is I hope she does die of AIDS tomorrow. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And like you, if you're dealing with somebody that is completely on the same level yeah. as you, then fine. You can just bat, yeah. play ping pong back and forth and stuff. But, you know, um, that's just not, it's, you, you can't, you know, like when I've learned that uh, something I've said, like hurt somebody's feelings or that it like, I, or the worst is when I'm playing a role like that, and then somebody comes along and they're like, dude, you totally changed my thinking on that. Like, I hate those people too. It's like, no, like no. <laughs> That's not what I was saying. <laughs> I know. That's and when... Uh, those are the times when you're like, you know what? I can't... I, this is... When, when, uh, when what starts as a troll leads you to become an uh, involuntary dictator of a small country when suddenly you're like raised on everybody's shoulders as, yes, please as, help us kill them all. And, yeah. Yeah. Make yeah. our country great again. Right, That's when right. you start thinking, "Oh fuck, maybe." <laughs> and um, I mean, in the I, you know, this isn't something I did for my own, mm-hmm. just for my own personal uh, mental health or something like that. I did it because, uh, I mean, we're we're not in a good place right now. No, okay, we're not. I mean, and we say, "Well, of course we're not." Look at the. I don't think um, a lot of you and I like history, right? And we look at things in, I think, a little bit different mode than a lot of people do, right? Where you you can take a situation and realize that whatever it is you think so unique about your time right now, Mm -hmm. there are probably a billion parallels you can go find to it. So let's go do that. And you go do it and you look for parallels to a time like ours or to trends and forces Mm -hmm. that seem to manifest in situations similar to ours. And then you look down the road of where that leads and you realize that um, we need to make some serious changes or we're going to be in really big trouble. For example, what parallels with the past do you see and where did those situations lead to? Oh, I mean, I would say the two most obvious ones and neither of them are encouraging, right? Oh, okay. Well, say in, we first have to define like um, which aspect of mm-hmm. of things are we talking about, sure. right? Uh if uh, what I look at is that we have a society that has gone through 
say a civilization, right? We'll just talk about the West as a whole because this is something that's happening. I mean, that's the other thing about it. When you look and and realize that uh, Hungary and Poland and Britain and France and Germany and Holland, I mean, across the West, all the way over Russia uh, even, that not only are they having problems that look like ours, but their societies are breaking along the same lines sure. that ours are. I mean, just part of that is obviously we have the internet communication, yeah. so these things are... But part of it's not, I think. Part of it is the fact that, you know, we've gone through this incredibly uh, productive but traumatic transformation over the last, let's say, a few hundred years of industrialization, right? Where you have a society that is... agricultural. Everybody works in agriculture for the most part. Um, And through mechanization, technology, all of a sudden you don't need anybody to be farmers anymore. The people who have large farming estates can, through technology, just buy up other places. The economies of scale eat everything up. And all those people that used to be peasants out in the countryside all move into the cities. And they're working in the factories now that are going up and that type of thing, right? And so they're all... All these people who, who lived in villages and in, in agrarian lives that, that were very traditional, very close to the earth, um, their community relations were very traditional, you know, um, all these people now uh, and, and family relationships were like incredibly important. Yep. I mean, they structured their entire social world like, you know, you uh, within the hierarchy of your family and then your family as it connects to other families and things. And now all these people, all those families who, who maybe had ancient rivalries and feuds and you know alliances and stuff, now they're all living on the same floor of the apartment block, mm-hmm. you know, on such and such street, and uh, they're very disoriented. I mean, you get all these people, so all those traditional connections and all those things are completely washed away at a time now where people are working uh, jobs that don't have necessarily anything to do with their direct uh, goals or their efforts, you know, leading to something directly for them other than being paid for their labor. Very alienating, you know, for a lot of people. Um, it's just a different type of life and a different type of mentality that, that uh, you know, you, you grow in a city as opposed to somebody who lived a traditional life, right? Meanwhile, everybody, com- everybody becomes uh, literate and mm-hmm. you start to get like, different types of social movements now and these type of things. I mean, and we're kind of at the far end of that where um, we had these ideological wars in the 20th century. One of those, you know, in 1989 to 91, won decisively and it was ours. And now we're kind of at this point where it's like, okay, we won. Um, So what did we win? And people are kind of in that weird spot with that right now, right? You got a lot of alienated people out there. Um, You look at... Uh, I mean, this is this is crazy to me that for decades, car accidents have been the number one cause of non-natural death for males. Now, it's suicide. Mm-hmm. Number three is overdose from opiate addiction. It's expected to be number two over the next couple of years. Alcohol overdose is like number seven. So, like, your three of your top oh, yeah. seven modes of non-natural death for men are things that are basically the same thing. They're all just killing themselves, right? Um and these are things that we don't spend nearly enough time discussing. Mm-hmm. If we do, it's like kind of in an abstract way. We're not actually looking and saying, okay, we've got a serious crisis here. Oh, because by the way, one of the ways that these people are not killing themselves is they're getting involved in, you know, extremist movements. I mean, yeah. you know, you have these things like you you listen to um, the guys over on the alt-right, this whole thing that's come up over the last year and a half or whatever. 
And, you know, I've had conversations with a lot of these guys and I've had a lot of people, actually, I've had two specifically who had hit me up saying, hey, like, I know that you're somebody who, uh, you you agree with enough of the right-wing ideology to understand what's being said. You understand their arguments. You understand their point. Sure. And yet you're not one of them. I'm being pulled in that direction right now. This is how I'm feeling. Like, talk me out of this because I don't want to go down. I've had that happen twice, and I talked both those people out of out of going in that direction. Wait, what is that they wanted exactly? Well, they were like, uh, they basically were feeling themselves getting more and more sucked into like the sort of white nationalist okay. side gotcha. of the old right. Yeah. And they're like, you know, because I, I interact with those guys for the same reason that, like, I'll interact with anybody. Of course. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I'll go talk to a prisoner in prison. Like, to, these are, we're, we're democracy. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got to have dialogue between yeah. different groups of people or you're going to have serious problems. Sure. I mean, a huge reason Hillary Clinton lost the election last year was that deplorables comment. Not because, like, the people who she was calling that were going to vote for her anyway, sure. but because it puts out the message that I'm not even talking to half yeah, of you. Yeah, of course. That's a huge problem in democracy. And people, as people get more and more alienated from the overall system and from one another, yeah. you start to pull that way. So two guys who had specifically, like, written me saying, like, I know you understand their point. Yeah. Um, because I'm feeling myself well, like... Persu- so they were telling you, talk me out of talk it. Because I'm it. becoming, yeah. like, super hardcore. Right, right. right. And... Uh, And so I've interacted with enough of those guys that what you see, I mean, almost down the line is you have people who were alienated. Um, you know, I don't want to say like losers, but people because they weren't all losers, but they were people who um, dissatisfied, alienated people who didn't feel like a sense of connection with community sure. or any of these other things who were looking for something to latch onto, And that's used as a criticism for groups like that. You got to be very careful no. with that. I mean, I mean that's the same reason why people join gangs. That's the same people start why drugs. That's Absolutely. the same reason why people go to church. To be honest, yeah, yeah, it's the same mechanism. Is you need an identity, you need a community, you need people around you say they understand your values. Yeah. You need all that kind of stuff. And the crazy thing about it too is uh, there's no question about it that a lot of those guys are improved by their experience. Like right. it's one of those things that like now that you do have a purpose. You've got something structuring mm-hmm. your world a little bit because there's an us and them, whatever it yeah. is. It's pathological. Yeah. But if you don't have any purpose at all, getting one will help you at first. But it's, that's, it's right, that's after the you get to the, the, that, that initial bump. It's like, it's like the first time you do a drug. It's great. And then like after you've been doing it for a few years, it's like, okay, well, now there's costs. <laughs> that's the problem of that, that you have on one end uh, this kind of relativistic, purposeless existence of uh, there's no meaning, <clears throat> there's no lot, there's n- no reason why, there's nothing that I hold sacred. But then when people want to hold something sacred, what they flock to is dogma. They want some father figure who is usually this hardcore authoritarian figure whether it's a cult leader or is a political leader or it's the same thing it's somebody who say we got all the answer look at our great flag look at our great uh, 15 rules that we follow look at and basically a ready-made identity that you can buy into yep. that you feel safe you don't have to think so damn hard about life anymore because we have all the answers we tell you what the bad guys are why everything doesn't work in the world is because of those guys why everything, how we can make it good. There's this utopian aspect of a lot of fundamentalists and, and totalitarian well, and ideologies. Honestly, that's the part that, this is a good way to tell, um, to, to identify something like that when you see it, is most of them don't get real specific mm-hmm. about 
what things are going to look like after it's over. They say this is bad and that's bad and whatever. And then they just sort of leave it at like, once we don't have to deal with that, everything yeah, will be great. Once we get rid of capitalism, right. the workers will be, exactly. you know, it's kind of whether. And the funny thing is that to me, they're all the same. Whether we're talking about some kind of communist utopia, whether you're talking about a Christian fundamentalist, a Muslim fundamentalist, a Nazi, they're all really very different. But deep down, the mechanisms are the same. It's still They're playing on the same psychology. Completely. Sure. They play on the same psychology. They are equally totalitarian <laughs> in nature. They are equally with a black and white view of the world. Of if, Once we get rid of that yeah. problem, once we get rid right. of the bad guys, it's all going to be great. There's... And it's... I mean, it's, it's obvious the appeal that it has on human beings. Because when you think about it, it's funny. You know, we, especially with the degree of information we have now, we are supposed to know better than thinking in black and white terms. And yeah, why is it so damn appealing if well, we're supposed to be better? I think the reason you know? is because we reinforce it in each other, right? Sure. So you take something like, uh, you know, take like the emergent far right. They're, yeah. they're going to be the ones that everybody's most familiar with right now. And, uh, you know, those guys are going to like put it like this. Like there are, there's very, very solid research and, and research that is more or less uncontested from very progressive sociologists mm -hmm. like uh, Robert Putnam is like one of the ones that's most famous. He wrote Bowling Alone yeah. and some other books that have to do with um, how societies, uh, how civil society, let's say, your civic organizations and your schools and your churches and all the ways that people organize themselves and affiliate with one another other than the state, right? That they just, that civil society. Um, that when a certain level of diversity is reached or multiculturalism especially is reached in a community that that starts to break down that people withdraw from one another that um it's not just that groups pull away from one another but within groups people tend to isolate from one sure. another and all of these type of things and, and when you look at our society and you say you know this used to be like a more united cohesive society and now we clearly have a problem with individual alienation and stuff they can look at something like that and say yeah that's true because uh, there's stuff out there and that's always the thing is there's, you know, it's, it's when you take a problem like that and you go out and you, uh, and I'm not, this is just one example. I'm not sure. putting it all on one side or the other, but you, so you go and you start talking about that on Twitter. And I can tell you because I've been in this situation yeah. where I am 100% talking about solid research that is from a Harvard sociologist sure. named Robert. And immediately uh, people just deluge me with racist and yeah. blah 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 and all this stuff and so then the other side says okay well why would they respond that way maybe they are my enemy and those other people i mean they're not they're doing it for the same reason you're doing sure it, right and now you're both doing it for the same reason you're both doing it and back it to the israeli-palestinian version of right. life right where it's sort of one reinforces the other I think in some way, I'm not even entirely sure that there was a time when there was so much more. I mean, no, there probably was, but not recently and not in the United States that there was a more homogeneous vibe. Because even if you look at, for example, go back to before there even was a United States, you know, look at like mid 1700s even, okay, before the American Revolution and all of that. Even the so-called white people, have really nothing in common with one another mm -hmm. because the German hated the Irish, the Irish hated the English, the English hated... 
Ethnically, they hated each other. Linguistically, <clears throat> they often didn't all speak English because many spoke Gaelic, many spoke Swedish, many spoke whatever the hell. Yeah, there was actually a uh, debate over whether uh, German should be the official language because the, a lot of the colonists were like, we're not speaking English. Exactly. We just revolted from the English. So, I mean, even just with that, so small population, primarily white from Northern Europe, could not agree on a damn thing because ethnically they hated each other, linguistically they were different. Religiously, let's not even start, not only between Catholics and Protestants, but even different denominations of Protestants who hated each other. Let's throw social class. The fact that, you know, the richer elements look at all the poor elements at the frontier as complete white trash who are getting what they deserve from the Indians and the other ones see as you damn rich people who are out to screw us over gender you know just about in every other way there wasn't a single damn thing to unite all these people and in some way that identity had to be completely manufactured out of thin air because the reality is that there wasn't a whole lot to go on so when you suddenly have an external enemy so for example the french and indian war great now everybody doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor doesn't matter whether you're catholic or anglican doesn't matter whether you speak gaelic or english or german everybody's getting attacked by the French and their Indian allies, and Indian raids are scaring the hell out of everybody. Now we have something in common. Now we are friends. Now we are... But again, it's kind of manufactured. It's not that you really have something in common, because you're the same people who hated each other yesterday. It's just that today you found a common enemy that makes you have something in common. So it's an interesting thing about social identity, because that's exactly what happens. I mean, you have two basic modes as far as I can tell that large scale social identities mm-hmm. form one is you get a common enemy common threat yep. um, one is that you get like a, a, a new common aspiration sure um, and that is very rare mm-hmm. I mean usually when we do see it we call it the birth of a new religion is what right. we call that uh, but gen- it, but it, even then even usually then, exactly. it involves bringing a new enemy into it yeah. right um, but the thing is is like if you look is that over time when things are held in place by something that, like that long enough, it does become a reality. Sure. Right? So, like, uh, it, you used to have all these different tribes running around Western Europe, and now you've got the French and the Germans. Yeah. And uh, they are they don't all get along or anything like that. But a French person knows a French person as a Frenchman, as a, as mm-hmm. a symbolic family member relative to a Taiwanese. Sure. Right? They know the difference, and yeah. they know that, like, it would be bad if they got into a war with the Taiwanese and somebody who was French went and betrayed the French. Sure. Like there's that sense of identity that yeah. does coalesce that wouldn't have existed yeah. back when they were tribes, Probably. which wouldn't have been. So, so it does calcify into something that is it has reality. Um, but that well, okay. But then you so then you go back and you realize that that can work in two directions, right? On one hand, you got a bunch of tribes, and then you, let's use your example. You've got a bunch of people from different European mm-hmm. countries, settlers in, the, in America, and now the French and the Indians are attacking them. And so they come together into a more sort of, they at least understand themselves as a cohesive whole relative yeah. to this other, at least, right? Uh, but the other thing that can happen is that can that same process can cause degeneration mm-hmm. and breakup and balkanization, and that's kind of what we're seeing now, right? And so you see... When you, when you start to uh, get into these situations where within a society people start to take sides, and then you get these uh, 
vicious circles reinforcing that, you can pull a society apart and break it down into tribes just as easy, well, much easier than you can actually build one up and put it together. Totally. But I think that's part of the problem for me with identity in general, that I find identity to, as much as it delivers some good things in the sense of, yeah, it's for some people is the escape from meaninglessness and lack of purpose <laughs> and lack of any, you know, there's that, which is good. But the price to pay is one that kind of invalidates what it gives you to begin with. Because half of the time, the problem with identity is that it is built on dogma. It is built on there has to be a we versus them. There has to be the we good guys. Whereas to me, the thing is, I don't part like I like to deal with people as individuals. You know what I mean? I like to deal with you, with you, with you. You telling me that you are Muslim or you are Christian or you are right wing or left wing, it really doesn't tell me shit about you because there are 10,000 ways to be those things. You know, it's kind of like even peak, like when you're saying yeah. the beginning of a new religion, look at early Christianity. Yeah. Look at even just one specific thing. You know, you have early Christians who argue that women can and should have a leadership role in the church. Early Christians who argue absolutely not. Women are, sure. there has to be second class kind of thing. You have early Christians who argue that straight up orgies were the keys to heaven. You had Christians who argue that complete set. The yeah. only thing they all agree on is that they all think Jesus is cool. The fact that they are Christian doesn't mean jack beyond the fact that they well, think okay. Jesus is cool. So that know? last okay, that last part is where I would disagree. When mm -hmm. you say like what they believe, yeah, totally variable. And people who profess to believe the same sure. things act in completely different ways. It, it that to me is not so much what it's about, but the fact that they are Christian, that they identify as Christian. But what does that, that mean? Well, what it means is that um that you fall within the boundary where group norms are enforced, right? So in other words, like, is it, if you betray America and give our secrets to China, um, like, the, your crime isn't that you agreed with Chinese ideology sure. as opposed to American ideology. It's that you, uh, you know, you, you are supposed to be within the circle of trust here. Right. And, now, and so what happens is, like, you know, when those borders become too rigid or... When this is like how it normally happens is, you know, that ideology comes along with a certain set of beliefs and behaviors now that we're going to enforce, yeah. you know, very, very hard. That's when you start to run into problems. But I, like, I, I guess I'm a little bit more fatalistic about it maybe than you are, because as far as I can tell, um, in-group and out-group thinking is not something that can be eradicated in the human mind. And, sure. like, in, maybe in an individual to a yeah. degree. But then you look at like the people who are supposedly against identity politics, or you go online and the people who are progressives have a tribe too. I thought that, and, of course. And um, you go all throughout human history. I look at it and say, is it really? Am I putting my energy in the right uh, and hope in the right bucket by hoping that like something that literally goes back to um, every social mammal that we can that we know of uh, by by putting my eggs in the basket of that somehow being overcome. And I don't think that that is probably very likely. I mean, if you look at something like, uh, you know, we've got the, uh, they used to call oxytocin, the um, neurotransmitter oxytocin, the love drug, right? Because it makes you more trusting, more open, more loving, more affectionate. Mm -hmm. And it's something that basically keeps mothers yeah. from eating their babies when they get hungry, right? Um, 
And only recently did we find out that there's a flip side to that neurochemical, which is that it also makes you, it does all of those things. It makes you more affectionate yeah. and trusting and everything for members of your in-group. Right. But it makes you more suspicious and for standoffish others. for people in the out-group. And like, you look at something like that and I think like, Am I? Is it really realistic that we're going to eradicate that? I'm not arguing that there shouldn't be a tri- some degree of tribal thinking because we are social creatures. We have grown up in tribes for generic. It's in our DNA, right? You know, the time that we have not <laughs> been in tribes is a dot compared yeah. to the times that we have existed as a species. So yeah. we are hardwired for that. There's not even an argument. And in that sense, I do... Comp- but here is the problem. The, the two choices that we have in front of us, which by definition should already make us suspicious because any time there are two choices, is usually sure, not true. Yeah. There's something else. But the two choices that look like they are on the table in front of us are you either go into this very tribal, with all the good stuff of it, but with all the negative of uh, identity politics, with uh, anybody who is not with me is the enemy, with the, and you turn it into the Israeli-Palestinian conflict of yeah. life in every other aspect. You are vegan, fuck you. No, you eat meat, fuck you. No, you... That kind of thing where it becomes... Or you go into this uh, utopian, uh, there are no, there shouldn't be any groups, there, which is simply not realistic for both because it's not going to happen, B, because it runs against the human DNA, and so both are obviously bad, because in one case, one can't be done, and who knows whether it's even desirable, and the other one, we know all too well how bad it is and the kind of negative things it can lead to. So to me, in a sense, it's like a creative moment for humanity, is to figure out, can we get out of this dualism of two bad choices? to come up with a better choice, which ultimately, what does that mean, a better choice? It has to mean that it needs to deal with tribal thinking in the sense that that is part of who we are, and we need it. When we don't have it, you know, the stuff you're saying about suicide, if you look at some of the most advanced civilization on the planet, are the places where people are the most lonely and without antidepressants like there's no tomorrow, partially because there isn't that social thing that makes us human. So we do need tribes, there's no argument. But we do need... And this is the paradox of what needs to be invented. We need flexible tribes. We need open-minded tribes, which yeah. seem like an oxim- like it seems completely contradictory because tribes of our definition are in-members, good guys, fuck you, everyone else. And so that identity needs to be built up, not in an open way. And yet that's what we need. We yeah. need something that gives us the happiness that that kind of sociability and tribal stuff will give you. But that also doesn't turn us into chimps with a K who are mowing down the members of the sure. next group. Because then we do it... Basically, we're going to do it until we wipe each other completely out. Because once you wipe out uh, the capitalists, wipe out all the communists, or the communists oh, wipe yeah. out all the oh, capitalists, yeah. there's going to be something else on which <laughs> you split. And it's going to be the color line, or it's going to be the... Until it becomes, I think I saw it as an internet joke that it was so long that unfortunately I don't remember it, but it was this thing of like some dude drowning in a lake and the guy mentioning like something about a religion and the guy say, oh, you are Baptist too? And they start this discussion where it's like, yeah, I am. Yeah, but you're Northern Baptist or Southern? <laughs> and they go for like 25 different questions. So yeah. each one, there's a binary one and the guy is exactly the same as the other. And finally, the dude gives the wrong answer of one of those. It is like, then you die, you fucking heretic. <laughs> you know, it's like... I think, uh, I, mean, I think I look at it somewhat similarly. Um, let me lay it out like this, actually. So 
we look at something today like nationalism mm-hmm. as divisive, right? Mm-hmm. Because nations can go to war with each other. But that's not what they were originally, right? Nationalism at first was not divisive. It was inclusive. It took all those tribes in Germany and it made them Germans. And so now all of a sudden you've got a much larger community. They're trying to do that with the European Union. Sure. You're trying to enlarge. Rather than killing each other with your neighbor, you can kill each other with the people in the next nation, which is less likely because you don't run into each other all the time. But when it happens, you got problems. Of course, because it's on a bigger scale. right? So like now we don't have very many big, great power national wars, but when we do... They're big. They're a problem, right? So... Uh, and that's like you know that's to a large degree a function that religion serves. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really think about that. Like human beings uh, in our base form, right? The the the, the base model uh, are band level hunter gatherers. Exactly. They're more or less uh, extended family of a few dozen yep. members, yep. and they're they're uh, I'm talking band level societies. Uh, their basic uh, approach to any other human or human group is. If not hostility, it's, uh, I mean, you are absolutely the other. Like, their, yeah. their word for their tribe is usually the human, people. The exactly. people, right? Yeah. yeah, you mentioned that, right. yeah. And so, um, you know, it's, it's very much this deep us and them that is mm-hmm. based on biology, yep. right? And that's really the key there is that it's a biological in-group, just like any other social mammal. And then somebody comes along and says, uh, well, actually... Um, my name's Muhammad, and I just got this revelation. And check out this book that I've, I'm writing about it. And uh, all of you guys um, should actually be following this mm-hmm. instead. And now, all of a sudden, you know, you can manage to get one point. Well, it wasn't that many people sure. back then, but you can get people from North Africa yep. to India to actually act on some level of cooperation yep. if they meet one another on a trading route or something. They're not strangers yep. exactly. They can communicate. Yeah. In that, you know, constellation of shared meanings yeah. and stuff, and and so it's that enlarging thing. And so you look at it today, and you say, um, so what's you know what does that mean today? Like, is it possible to, uh, you know, have some new idea, some new social identity that comes up that everybody here can work off of, that the whole planet can mm-hmm. work off of? And I think that that's very difficult for two reasons. One is what is in the Watchmen comic, and uh, and Ronald Reagan said it in a speech one time. He basically said, uh, he's kind of famous, where he said it would be great if, like, aliens showed up, because then we could actually unite, because there they be, yeah. and now we could kind of unite. Because we would have, you, you know, the, the implication is that there, there must be an other. There always yeah. will be one, and you need one. And so, and, and then there's the fact of, like, you know, if you bring um, legitimate... Saudi Arabian Muslims sure. and uh, people who live in downtown Paris and put them in the same democracy, uh, you know, there's no way that they're going to be able to um, coexist in the same governing society without one of them giving up something that sure. really makes them who they are. Yeah. And so I look at that and I say, now that's not true for vast swaths of people. And so I do think it's absolutely possible that you could get something like the European Union in various places, that you could get like a, you know, an Asian sphere that sure. maybe they still have their nations because people want their cultures and history, but but that they're co- you know, there's a there's a cooperative identity there and you could start to do that. And then hopefully, you know, and this is this is one of this is this is a real challenge, I think. This is the challenge that we face right now. Um I think of civilization, the progress of civilization, right, as um, a process of learning how to 
satisfy certain of our baseline mammalian or reptilian, you know, needs and drives um, by means of symbols, right? So we, uh, you know, we used to run around in large extended families of a few dozen people, and that was our in-group. It was biologically based, and it was that way even up to the point where you got to fairly large tribes. Like if you wanted to join, they would rework the mythology so that you were part of the ancestry too. And then we got to a point, you could say this with a nation, although Mm -hmm. especially like a nation like the United States, um, France, a few others, uh, but then religions also, where it's still, it's like a family kind of, like you're all this in-group, but now it's entirely symbolic. And so we've been able to etherealize that and rally around this symbol, right? And so you look at something else, something we're talking about with the Spanish and the Aztecs right now. The Aztecs were, uh, for one of the reasons that they were performing human sacrifices was out of penance. Mm -hmm. You know, they had a sense of debt that they owed to the gods, and so they would sacrifice human beings, and uh, that was how they were paying their debt to the universe or whatever. And the Spanish show up, and they're doing the exact same thing, only their human sacrifice is a guy on the cross and on their armor and whatever else, and they, just like the Aztecs, they drink and eat his blood, you know, at 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 a mass. And so you look at that and say, okay, there's something there that... There's a there's something that's bubbling up that's deep, deep, deep inside yeah. the human psyche or something like that. That it's an itch that must be scratched, and this site over here has figured out how to scratch that itch symbolically, while this one is still doing it literally. And as you work your way back through history, that's what you find. We all sacrificed yeah. humans if you go back far enough. We probably you see reasons to believe that we probably all engaged in cannibalism if you go back far enough. Sure. And the process of, like, the growth of a civilization, the development, rather, of a civilization is the steady uh, progress of figuring out how to do those things that are antisocial in a lot of ways, doing them symbolically instead of literally. And so I think, like, you know, if we could get to the point where um, we hate the Russians and the way we express it is by getting to the moon first and, fuck you, I'm going to cure cancer before you do and we're going to kick your ass at wrestling in the Olympics— Best case scenario. Of course. The idea that like we're going to get to a point where we don't hate the Russians or whoever. Good luck. Uh, yeah, I think that like we're we're beating our heads against a brick wall that is not going to give way before our foreheads do. Like, I think sublimating that aggression because right. you have to do it. You just have to figure Turn out a way to sublimate to it. something less destructive to yeah. humanity, but you can't really get away from the game. Yeah, exactly. That's that's and I, I mean think. that's and I'm down with the practical aspect of it. It's entirely possible. I mean that's not a bad goal in the sense that as long as you're not wiping each other out on the planet along with it, that's not a bad way to go about it. However you go about it, yeah, if it means having the hunger games <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know yeah. that's a slightly darker, but you know, you're getting the idea. It's like you 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 sublimate the conflict in another form where yeah. it doesn't lead to mass wipeout. <laughs> okay, that's better. I still think, at least as a possibility, I'm intrigued with the idea of creating tribes along different lines. You know, tribes that are less yeah. rigid, that are, they give you an identity, but they're also, you know, because the problem with a tribe is that you're born in it, you're <laughs> stuck with it. If those people in your tribe are a bunch of assholes, that's all you ever know. And even if today, thanks to internet, you know better because you see other ideas and you're like, hey, I kind of resonate more with that. Then you're a traitor, then you're outside the right, group, right, there's yeah. all of that. So a way for, can there be, and I think that's kind of not a question that I have an answer to, and I think it's an open one that needs to be, can there be a situation where you can have 
a tribal thinking, a tribal maybe even living, and yet is not as rigid as tribes have always yeah. been in the past. You know, that's fascinating, actually, because if you, like, here's another way to think about it, right? It's Actually, that's I hadn't really thought much about that, but that, I think, is something that, especially now with technology, mm-hmm. you can do, right? Where if you look at the way technology is developing now, you think about like it seems almost inevitable that eventually we're going to be in some place where the whole world is like a surveillance state where sure. just there's no way around it because uh, and I'm not saying this is a desirable future yeah. but I'm just saying is this inevitable right where eventually you're going to get to a point where some 19 year old terrorist can make something as garage that destroys a city sure. right or releases a virus or something and we're going to say well we can't allow that we got to have some sort of yeah. situation I mean you don't have to like that but I mean I, I think that especially as technology makes that easier and easier to sure. surveil and sort of that we're going to move toward this place where there's this global environment where maybe we technically have different countries and stuff, but there's going to be some kind of global environment yeah. like that. But then underneath that layer within that, that, uh, yeah, why are, are geographically connected, um, maybe biologically related like uh, units that we call tribes or nations or whatever. Like, why is that uh, the only possible model for social identity? Because we're finding out now it's not. I mean, religion is obviously the, you know, the religion might be the baby step actually sure. to something like that, right? Where now it's, you know, you, you even, this is very explicit when you read, uh, um, especially in Christianity. I mean, where Jesus says he's uh, calling you out from your mother, calling you out mm-hmm. from the nations. And, you know, I'm not here. I'm here to set brother against son against father and daughter yeah. against mother and it's explicitly breaking the, the ties of blood and soil yep. and saying you're a part of this spiritual community because you choose to be and we accept you yep. and that's it it's not your you know so come out and and very interesting this is one of the things that i think is really one of the one of the real glories of the united states and i think it's what we're going to be remembered for when it's all said and done for everything else that's going on is uh you know, the early settlers, especially the Puritans, they very much had that view. Their idea was we're coming from a Europe where people are just killing each other based on what's running through their veins and sure. where they live. And we're saying we don't care where you're from. You come over here and as long as you get on board with the project, and that is the, uh, you know, that absolutely is a requirement. But if you come over here and you want to really be a part of this community, then come on over. The come project, though, is funny because whereas... One, a more open-ended approach would be, the project would be, uh, you live in the village, you don't kill anybody, you don't rape anybody, you help us grow the crops, you are a good neighbor, that would be the project. And that's a very, you know, that's the basic, yeah, you need that for it to be a community because you can't have anybody who's destroying the community. But in their case, the project was also, and you happen to have to believe all these things. Right. And if you don't, fuck off. You right. know? And that's clearly become part right. of the, and you need to live according to our religious dogma. Uh, and otherwise, right, right, you sure. know. Um, and, you know, and that's, again, you know, I think uh, well, Plato, yeah, Plato said that everything dies uh, out of its own excess, right? Or uh, every, things die due to an excess of their own principle, sure. right? And so on one level, um, if you're not going to be tied together by blood and soil, uh-huh. then yeah, you do have to be tied together by ideas. And so there are some things that we've all got to agree on here sure. to make this work. But, you know, it's when you start taking that into the realm of personal private behavior and all that kind of stuff. Now you've just taken it way too far. And, and I think <laughs> that's where I like ideas. I like ideas that are, we are 
we may make completely different choices, but we're equally committed to the idea that you can choose whatever the hell you want and you don't have the right to step into somebody else's choice to do what they yeah. want within their own space. And I think that that is sort of the, that is what we've, say the classical liberal appro- yeah. approach in the West, and especially in the United States, you know, with the frontier mentality sure. and all that. that. That is the principle that we've tried um, haltingly and you know yeah. with fits and starts that, that we've tried to put yeah. over right is that it's individualism basically yeah. taken to its atomic conclusion where look just leave other people alone we're all free people now go make your lives sure I worry though that we're finding out now that that's not enough for people well but that's what I think is I'm interested in tribes that for example take something that you well know uh, you have been involved in combat sports and martial arts for a really long time. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know, what was it, Montana Wrestling State Champion? Uh, well, yeah, with AAU, so I was moving around all the time. But yeah. Sweet, nice, still, badass wrestling. Oh, yeah, you yeah, have been training right. jiu-jitsu a long time, <laughs> you have been training other stuff. That, to me, is an interesting community right there. Like, th- to me, the reason why, I mean, a lot of people train martial arts, not because they want to train martial arts. Uh, among the many reasons, beside the way it makes you feel physically, beside the health aspect, beside the endorphins, a big one is also community. A big one is there's this sense of tribe yeah. that uh, Dojo Space gives you. that really not many things give you in modern life unless they're ideological. You know, you go to church, but then you're supposed to believe all these things. You mm-hmm. go to the political meetings, you have to believe these things. You have to... Jiu-Jitsu is just, we yeah. like to roll around yeah. and, and tap each other out. It doesn't even matter what you believe, which is one of the funny things, though. As divided as our world is when you go online and if you say the sun is out, you're going to have mm. 25,000 people <laughs> yeah. saying, you fucking piece of crap. No, it's not. You know, you can go to Jiu-Jitsu and you're going to often run in people who have radically different beliefs about life and it doesn't even enter the equation. Yeah. They are nice to each other. They don't even get into those discussions. And if they do, they are usually polite discussion. Yeah, you know, that's fascinating because uh, Jiu-Jitsu is not like it's a it's a um, community that is based on a behavior, yeah. right? Something you're doing as yeah. opposed to like what you believe. And so it's interesting because what you find is that you're not going to find a bunch of people who agree with each other on a bunch of topics. No. But what you do find is people who have a and maybe because it's a behavioral yeah. thing and not like a intellectual mm-hmm. thing, um, ideological or whatever, uh, you do find people that have a certain thing in common. And it's hard to put that thing sure. into into, but it might be that. You know, people talk about the jujitsu douchebag filter, right? Where if you're some egotistical tough guy coming into this place, you're not going to like some 14-year-old blue belt kicking your ass every night. And you're probably going to leave. And so when you go into that place, uh, you know, you're just going to have people who have self-selected to just sort of be a little bit more humble about themselves, a little more laid back. And so there's – and that – Failing in that is what will... That's the boundary line in jiu-jitsu community. If you come into a place and you start stomping on the white belts because you're bigger than them, and yeah. you're not going to last in that place. Right. You, you will get cast out. And so that's a very interesting idea, actually. You know, and, and the idea of having... of you know, This is a bias that we've got in our culture that maybe we need to... This is part mm-hmm. of what we've got to get over is um, communities based on ideology or some, anything intellectual or whatever are always going to be about 
do you believe the following Top things them. like we believe Top them? Because that's what it's about. Exactly. Something that's based more on a behavior yep. might just be like, are you the type of person that can actually thrive in an environment like this? Because if you're a douchebag, yep. egomaniac in jiu-jitsu, you're not going to thrive in this community. We don't want you here. But you can believe, like, you can be a communist or a fascist. I don't care. Exactly. It's not my business. So, yeah, maybe behavioral communities or communities that are based around some sort of something like that. It's not a Completely, intellectual project. Because when it is intellectual, we'll inevitably drive to conflict. It's a fact. It's more about what kind of person are you. Yeah. Whereas when it's about or action, rather, yeah, yeah, when it's about action, it's a lot easier to find some shared humanity yeah. in uh, something that you both get. It's because it's physical, you know, yeah. it's like you're getting something from it on a physical level that transcends the mind, which is where all these, these visions take place. You know, if we have a community based on we have uh, 20 houses around a giant garden where everybody grows their food there. It's a lot easier to have a common project there. We yeah. roll together in jujitsu. We do things. Then those kind of ideological conflicts, which are the kind of thing that are fucking us up currently, mm-hmm. wouldn't be as important because you start relating to people as human <laughs> beings more for rather than representatives of an ideology. There's more to somebody than what they say they believe, yeah. you know? They also get hungry like you do. They also like good food. They also like to feel good. You know, there's also some stuff where it's like you realize you share a lot of stuff on a very primal yeah. level. And that makes it 10 times easier to click with one another, to connect on a level that's not... Because the ideological one will not lead to any kind of no. shared unity. Well, especially want. since, you know, um, whether or not you're going to be friends with somebody... Uh, for a sustainable period of time or whether or not you could really consider them like part of your community for a long term. Uh, It probably has a lot more to do with like, how does this person respond to stress in certain situations? Do they, uh, you know, what's their relationship to anger and things like that? You know, stuff that you could probably learn more doing jujitsu with somebody for a year than you could talking to them, you know, about politics or something. And and those type of things are really like, because that's what human relating is mm-hmm. right like right now you and i are sitting across from each other and we're talking yep. but we could be talking about anything like yep. what really matters here is like you know if i turned away from you and i'm just sort of staring off into space while you're speaking mm-hmm. you know or my tone of voice if i sound like i'm being dismissive or yep. hostile or little things that I'll tap into really deep parts of your nervous system it's not your neocortex running over my arguments i mean it's deep stuff looking into my eyes Completely. and being like is this type of is this person yeah. my type of person and yeah ideology does not take you there and that's no. you know and that's what ends up happening in all these movements right you know especially god forbid if they ever you know any any really ideological movement like achieves real victory you know if mm-hmm. like like it's fine i mean well whatever i'm not Communists need to all be thrown out of helicopters. There are any commies out there? I'm not trolling. You guys got to go. But, like, but seriously though, like you could have like a communist party in a government, and they're hardcore. Maybe sure. their maybe their message is keeping certain aspects of the capitalist class honest about a few yeah. things. Maybe you know. But if that hardcore ideological group gets in charge, or on the other side, you're in real trouble at that point, right? And. Uh, yeah, I, I ran off on a little bit of a tangent because there was a point I was going to make there. I forgot what it was. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, but to me, that's that really is where it's at, and I think it's the what you were saying about the connection that you get from people that's beyond ideology. Like it's funny they did this one study where they did they ask students to 
evaluate their professors within five minutes of the first day. And then they test the evals at the end of the semester. Mm. And almost unfailingly, the evals are exactly the same. Which basically, because, you know, in five minutes, you're not going to express yeah. who you are on an ideological yeah. level. But people get a read on sure, you on an yeah. instinctual level. Yeah. Almost unfailingly, regardless of what you're going to say through the rest of the 16 weeks, people are going to feel about you the same way as they did in the first five minutes. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. But on the, I mean, and, but on, on the other hand, I think um, it's... That can be a bad thing too, right? <laughs> it's like this guy's an asshole. It's like, sure. Well, and I think, yeah, being a little more open-minded about the downside, sure. while you know, sort of, yeah, having a little bit more porous of you, you know, this is like has to do with everything from social classes to like how many chances you give yep. people. Where, um, you know, you just have to have it uh, be as permeable as permeable as possible on the way up, right? So make it possible to like move out of your yep. doghouse into your good graces, and maybe make it tough to fall out of your good graces into the doghouse or, you know, make it easier, hopefully for people on the bottom to rise up. Yep. But, you know, maybe provide some springboard in there for mm-hmm. people who are, who are falling down. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. That's what I was going to say. The, like you get a group, an idiot that's based entirely on ideology mm-hmm. and you get them in power. So now they don't have other groups. They're comparing right. themselves, nothing to hold them together. That other, you know, that, they're just in killing. charge. Yeah. And you find out that, well, they don't really like each other that no, much. No, they start killing each other. They're all going to kill each other of now course. because they hate each other. It's what know? always happens is uh, get Trotsky with an ice pick yeah, in exactly, the head kind yeah. of thing. Ice you know, axe, it's, uh, Ice axe. Yeah, it's, nice. I, I, it was a really obscure book that I found that out. That And it's, it is true. It was an ice axe, actually. What's an ice axe? It's, it's like uh, something I think that they use on the initial cuts when they're... Um, I don't know why I'm talking. I don't know what an ice axe is. I thought I knew. <laughs> you know, I think I looked it. I looked some for it. weird Russian shit yeah, that they used yeah. to. But suppose I mean, supposedly it was an ice axe. Right. Everywhere, every book you see says ice pick. Right, right. Got him with an ice axe. So. It's something <laughs> that should not go through somebody's skull in yeah. either case, yeah, and yeah. it sounds very Russian. Well, on that happy note, <laughs> I would say no. I think it's interesting because this is not purely just shooting the shit for the sake of shooting the shit. But I really think it boils down to some degree of figuring out, really figuring out what is that can make the future livable and happy. Yeah. Because to some degree, you know, if you look at the way things have changed in the last two, three, four hundred years of history. There have been some fantastic changes and also that have led to horrible places. And the two are not mutually exclusive. You know, Mm -hmm. the two things go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. We have been humongous progress in some direction. We have uh, nearly wiped each other out multiple times. And they are both happening at the same time. There's like, so to me, it's an interesting one to figure out. The future is not going to look like now. Not only because, of course, technology is going to change, but the we have been on a constant change fast over the last few hundred years. So the kind of answers that we come up with are going to determine whether, A, we have a future or we don't, what kind of future we have if we do have one. And so engaging in this kind of sometime, let's imagine, you know, how could it be better than it is now kind of thing. I find it extremely useful because the reality is that nobody has all the answers right here, right now, or we wouldn't even, there wouldn't even be any of a discussion. (laughs) Let's just go out and do it, you know. It really is a way in which we have to imagine the future in our head before we can have one kind of thing. Sure, got to have a goal. And it's, 
and it's on multiple levels because otherwise you go back to the ideological if we only all believe this life is going to be good and it's not it's about in some way to me it really boils down to very practical things is what's going to be our relationship with food what is going to be a relationship with community what's going to be the relationship with the body what's going to be the mm. those kind of basic things that doesn't ideology is almost secondary yep. to how to how these things are going to play and so um I find this always a fascinating game to play because yeah. it's it's from this kind of discussion that then answers can come up with practical one that one can experiment with. Yeah, the thing that I uh, really kind of had to had to just take a ice axe mm-hmm. and thrust into my right. own brain um, was that if if your prescription for how things should be better does not require you to change at all then you're just <laughs> masturbating like it's not all, all you're doing you're not doing anything right. right like it's like oh surprise 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 the world should be remade completely according to you and right. just how lucky are you you're yeah. already that way that's amazing which is isn't that funny which is how old people who come from very rigid religious background that they were born into is kind of right. look at this miracle right. they're all wrong except yeah. the one i was born yeah, or all those nations out there they're all a bunch of assholes except for mine that's really this amazing yeah. beacon of light out it's there like, i've been like, thinking seriously about this topic for like a few years right and now i'm ready to pronounce whole traditions outmoded and like all that kind of stuff it's very easy to do and you get a lot of reinforcement right. from, for it but i finally had to just i hit that point where i where i realized that you have to get yourself straightened out first. Sure. You, you just, first. you know, and that means taking responsibility for, you know, what you put out in the world and what you do. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite authors, I don't know if you ever read the book called, uh, I'm going to give it to you if you don't, you ever read Grendel mm-hmm. um, by John Gardner? Mm-hmm. He's written a bunch of other books, but that one's a little bit different, but it's Beowulf told from the monster's yeah. perspective. <laughs> he's an amazing writer and he wrote the best book on creative writing that, I've ever read, mm-hmm. and uh, it's called the the Art of Fiction, and um, you should read it even if you don't write fiction sure. because it's just it's so brilliant. And uh, he was kind of a like, he wasn't a great guy. He was a writer and he was a professor, but he um, was an alcoholic who I think was arrested for domestic violence once hey. or twice. Like he just wasn't a great guy yeah. uh, in the ways that we would all uh, you know talk about. And uh, his books are so morally sensitive and so beautiful and just so nuance as far as human behavior and all that and so of course somebody asked him you know that question they said uh how can you possibly write those things and yet you know how is it that you're capable of like doing this other thing and he said i'm a better person when i write and um that's partially like my answer to like the difference between uh how i come across in martyr maiden how i come Mm -hmm. across when i think i'm bantering on the internet is uh I think most people out there, if you just stop and really uh, humanize, you know, whatever perspective you have on something, think about the people that are involved with whatever issue you're you're saying, how they're impacted by it, how, you know, and and really get down like, oh, those people should just should have to go. It's like, okay, here's here's one of their children. Great. Here, Here. What do you want to do? Go do it. And sometimes you got to do hard things. I'm not saying that, but you you need to think. You need to realize that these are serious questions. Of course, you know, and they deserve serious reflection, and, and they deserve your best self when you're answering them. You know, if if you realize, I mean, think of how many people you get on social media and you 
spend time on it, and then you get off, and you feel like shit. You don't feel better at all. And it's because you're not usually being a version of yourself that you that you like very much. You know, it's an outlet for aspects of yourself you don't like, and uh, you know you you gotta close the gap so that you're that person that that you'd be proud of more often and yep. then you're that other person blowing off steam or whatever you're doing like less and less often yep. you know and uh you know it's a struggle for all of us i think especially now because social norms are changing so quickly and so dramatically with yeah. the universalization of the internet just our social norms are in flux right now and uh you know all of a sudden i mean think if the north and the south back during the civil war or before the civil war they had Twitter back then so that they could scream at each other. We would have had the Civil War in 1792. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Right, of course. And so we have to take responsibility for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Be a more awesome human, be less of an asshole. That seemed like an excellent commandment right yeah. there. Cause less unnecessary suffering. Yeah. I think that's... Uh, and try to alleviate it where you can. I think that's what Jordan Peterson says. It's a good way that's to put it. That's a very... It's already a lot of suffering here. Yeah, there's enough. You know, that's without plenty. us creating no, it for ourselves. Exactly. There's so much of it here. You yeah, know? life is plenty hard without adding to it. Let's yeah. I'll make it easier for sure. Cool, man. Thank you so, so very yeah, much. Man. Glad we finally did this. So people cannot find you on Twitter. <laughs> so you have... <laughs> yep. Don't, don't find you elsewhere, too. So <laughs> iTunes, you got Martyr Made. You have... We didn't even get to talk about... Yeah, uh, don't worry about that one right now. Okay. I'm, it's kind of... Uh, I'm rebooting it and doing some different okay. things with the other so, ones. So, but yeah. We're, by the way, not Martyr Made. We're yeah. talking about a different podcast that uh, Daryl was um, playing with. So we shall... Yeah, check out Martyr Made. Uh, 30 hours plus on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We got the new one, the new series coming up related to my History on Fire one. Good stuff right there. Thank you so much. All right, man. I think my brain might have overloaded with that one. That's a lot of information scattering around. And that's nothing compared to what you get in uh, with the Martyr Made episode. You know, his episodes are really epic, facts-filled, uh, emotion-filled stuff. Of, uh, he just started, you know, when we recorded this was uh, two, three weeks ago, so before he put out the more recent episode, he now has done a couple already to go as companion episodes to the History on Fire um, series of The Conquest of Mexico. Man, they are heavy. There's one on cannibalism that's heavy as hell. Yeah, I'm just going to ride home with it. It's really super high quality, but... But a billion different stops along the way. Yeah. You know, speaking of a billion, Kiva just did its billionth dollar in loans. Jesus. Not all us, but we did our part, right? No, we did our part, and thanks to you guys who did. So definitely Kiva.org, check it out. We're going to be, we're almost 80,000 from our fellow listeners, just Mm -hmm. loaning away, helping people out. Quite very, awesome. Come very, join. Very sweet. I like it. It's people, uh, speaking of people who part with their money in one way or another, let's give a quick thank you to the people who donated to us, the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Nice. Let the pottering begin. We have Lisa Robles, Edson Teixeira, uh, Marek Stefan, um, Alison Roskelly. I think he was for History on Fire, but she's a Drunken Taoist listener as well, so thank you. Robert Primos. Matt Chebre, Mike Ordunes, Ernest Williams, uh, Raid Deletich, completely taking a guess on that one, um, Samuel McNichol. 
Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, folks. Thank you. So here are those sweet folks. Uh, of course, as mentioned in the intro, thank you to our sponsor, Datsusara, Onnit, and Shore Design, who by now you guys know the drill. They have been with us a long time, and we have the, um, all the links in the episode notes on how to get to their awesome products. Excellent. Uh, I did give a shout out to Alpha Dynamics, who sent me some medicinal mushrooms, which are pretty cool. They just, you know, a lot of the stuff is just shipping now. So check them out. This is a company that clearly will be on the rise. Um, being among the early people to check out their awesome products, uh, alphadynamicshealth.com. And then uh, what do we got? Of course, a big thank you to Desi House for the music. I went and took a trip up to our friends at uh, Moma Licha's. Oh, yeah, I do tell. It was good, man. It's like fun. seriously traditional and delicious. I had the things I like, uh, chili rellenos. That's like sort of my test. Sweet. going on with that. And it was all great, and they were kind. And, uh, you know, go check them out. Awesome. Uh, San Fernando Valley, right? Silmar. Valley. Silmar, I think it it's is. It's Silmar. Yeah, it Silmar. So if you happen to be in that part of LA, please check them out. Mama Licha's. Um... And I'll, I'll put a link in the episode notes. I think I did it the last time, but I'm hoping uh, this is a more a meme. <laughs> I'm trying to write a note to myself for this because sometimes episode notes, it's a matter of luck making it in or not. Well, especially with trips to Colorado and fun things yeah, like yeah, that. My it's brain hard to keep is track. scrambling. Um, if you guys want to buy some cool handmade chocolates, Kurakao chocolates, uh, there's a link in the episode notes. Of course, and all the usual stuff, you know, all our t-shirts are in stock, uh, Taoist Lecture Series, I did a bonus episode of History on Fire that's up for sale for like three ninety nine or something, uh, Not Afraid, there's an audio version of it all, so that's all the good stuff. Having said all that, anything else we need to... See you all in two weeks. Indeed, we shall see you, have a great two weeks. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. No, you don't. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. It's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. We've been yeah, having a great hour here. I have nothing against.
cheek and other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. Dun, dun, dun. I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're right? outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's so let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell. Can me you about translate it? for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work.